In life's journey, we must seek to reflect, learn, and grow. Welcome to the Road to Rediscovery with your host, Aubrey Johnson. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Road to Rediscovery. I'm your host, Aubrey Johnson. The Road to Rediscovery is about reflecting on past life lessons to learn and grow from them and to take it to the next level and help others who are struggling through dark times. My special guest began studying classical violin at the age of five. And just five short years later, at the age of 10, won his first university level competition. And then four years later, at the age of 14, had the opportunity to serve as concertmaster by winning a competition at New York City's Carnegie Hall. After such an intense classical background, he fell in love with the creative beauty of improvisation across multiple music genres, competing in numerous fiddling competitions, including the distinction of Michigan fiddling champion from 1994 to 1998, among many other accolades. But as we know, no journey comes without its barriers and challenges. We're in for a great conversation on the highs and lows and life lessons of Mr. Alex DePew. Alex, man, welcome to the show. How are you? Such a great introduction, and I'm afraid how literal we're going to get with the way you worded that just now. The highs and lows of this conversation today, I've been looking forward to it. Man, we are thrilled to have you on the show, and uh, I promise I'll go gentle, and, uh, and we won't be intimidated at all, man. All right. So, hey, look, let's go ahead and get started by sharing with the listeners, you know, like where you're from, a bit of your upbringing, and what, what got you interested in the violin at such an early age? Absolutely. Um, I'm from Bowling Green, Ohio. That's just south of Toledo. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a college town at which my father was a professor of music composition and theory. Mm-hmm. So, Uh, My upbringing included that kind of uh, rigorous training from a theory professor in the subject of music Mm -hmm. from birth, really. Mm. So uh, as I began violin lessons at age five, I was continually inspired by my older brother. Uh, His name is Wallace Jr. I have three brothers who are all professional violinists now, all corners Mm. of the country, Wow. Uh, one, of, one of whom just finished 11 years as concertmaster with Indianapolis. Amazing. Uh, another is in the first violin section with Philadelphia Orchestra. And mm-hmm. then my oldest brother that we just brought up here in the conversation is with the Naples Philharmonic down there in Florida. Mm, gotcha. Gotcha. Wow. So it runs in the family. Very musical family. Uh, both yeah. parents were also concert pianists as well. Gotcha. And, uh, you know, from a fellow Ohioan, I am from Cincinnati, Ohio, moved here to North Dallas uh, five years ago. Um, You know, um, I'm familiar with Bowling Green, and you're right, it's a pretty, uh, pretty big college town, uh, just south of Toledo. So, um, uh, man, that's awesome. So, I mean, like, during your adolescent years, okay, uh, playing the violin, you know, when you become an adolescent, for most people, I guess, or, or, or at least the ones I have observed, um, there seems to be a shift in like priorities or not really priorities, but what, what you think is cool 
before you become an adolescent to what you think is cool now as an adolescent, you know, and, and yeah. with the deep rooted roots you have in music, um, did, did you, did you, did you find any struggle with that or, or was it just cut and dry, no compromise? You can still, you know, do things as an adolescent, but the, the music stays intact. How was it, was it for you? Definitely a fine line there, as you're suggesting, you know, between mm-hmm. that moment that you, you're not really truly accepted as one of the popular kids. I mean, and then all of a sudden through a public performance for the high school, it's overnight star stardom success yes. <laughs> in the, yes. at that age. You know, what an awkward age. I'm, I'm so glad we don't have to relive that ever again. Same. You know, that change yeah, same is here. a drastic one. <laughs> yeah, same here for sure, man, for sure. Uh, very nice. So, um, yeah, we have all had challenges with that, right? I mean, um, again, being from Cincinnati, um, I skylines, skyline. Oh, skyline. Yeah. Cincinnati has a beautiful skyline, doesn't it? Coming up on Cincinnati from the South, as you cross that bridge, it's one of the most colorful skylines, you know, especially at night, of course. Yes. Yes. At night. I mean, the Ohio river, the bridges, the stadiums, I mean, just the whole city lit up when you're coming around that cut in the hill in Kentucky, ready to cross that, that bridge. So, uh, yeah, it is beautiful. You know, um, uh, early in my childhood, um, not as early as five, but in, starting in the fifth grade, I took a, uh, an affection to music, to uh, band, and I, I played the saxophone. And uh, I fell so much in love with playing the saxophone through, you know, my elementary years, fifth and sixth grade, and then into middle school and high school and so forth, that, you know, when I was a sophomore in high school, my mind was set up. My mind was set straight. I wanted to be a professional musician a professional nope. musician. And I've had conversations with my dad about it. And my father, uh, of course, being old school, um, you know, very pragmatic um, and a retired military, you know, a serviceman, you know, he's like, are you sure that's what you want to do? And blah, blah, blah. And, and I'm like, yeah, that's what I want to do, you know? And, and so um, we kind of went back and forth about that. And, uh, and obviously, I never became a professional musician, okay, but I, I still have my instruments, still play around a little bit. Um, uh, did you have any idea on what your path would be beyond high school that involved music? I mean, even if you went to a higher education institution, college, and, uh, and, and, and studied, um, did you ever have any doubt in what capacity of music that you would be practicing or is just just straight performing? Um, was that, was straight performing on your mind? It's time? a good question. You know, I had my mind made up actually well before that. It, it mm-hmm. was more around age 10 mm-hmm. when my father made it very clear that either we're gonna, I'm gonna spend this money for you to have your private lesson every week and you're gonna practice and become a professional musician or <laughs> I'm not gonna spend that money and you're gonna do something else. And of course, in his world, the other two options with what we might be able to do with our lives was mm-hmm. digging ditches mm-hmm. or driving a truck. Mm. <laughs> that gotcha, it. gotcha. That was it. it. was either you practice the violin or you get to yeah. dig ditches. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I, so it didn't take much to decide, you know, which one of those options you wanted at all. I'm, I'm sure. Easy yeah. decision. Yeah. Same here. I would choose the violin uh, twice every day. Right. So, all right. Very nice. Very nice. So, um, man, you have uh, uh, this this incredible passion for improvisation. Um, I'd love for you to share with the listeners after having such a structured classical um, uh, uh, background, right? Um, what introduced you to the world of creativity and improvisation? Well, it's an, another great, great question. Um, as you, you mentioned in the introduction, I, I found myself at Carnegie Hall at age 14. And that's again, this awkward, part of life that we all remember well. Right. And um, my inspiration years prior was listening to a violinist named Joseph Silverstein. Okay. And my father called me into the uh, living room just in time to catch Joseph Silverstein playing the last five figures of the Bach Gavat. That's mm. from Partita number three in E major by Johann Sebastian Bach. And yeah. when I heard those five figures closing that cadence, I had to have it. I had to be able to play that, and I had to have it now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Only to find out, you know, the way that's correlated is after winning the competition, ending up in Carnegie Hall, and guess who was on the podium for that performance? It was, was Joseph it? Silverstein. <laughs> Remarkable. <laughs> the same guy who had inspired me to play the violin to begin with, really. Yeah, yeah. And there he is. I'm right underneath his baton there in, at uh, at New York City's Carnegie Hall. So yeah. it occurred to me as I'm preparing to leave the place, I'm like, wow, that was really a fabulous experience. Mm -hmm. <laughs> After being taught your entire life up until that point, this awkward part of life, that right. this is the cataclysm of success in the classical world. At mm -hmm. age 14, you start scratching your head and it's like, well, I've never heard anybody stand up and yell and scream during a classical music concert. Right. I wonder what other kinds of music are available to the violinist. And sure okay. enough, that's when I became enamored with improvisation and those who could do it fluently. Getting gotcha. away from the printed page and finding that freedom to play from the heart. You know. Nice, very nice. So is it fair to say that uh, <laughs> the passion for the creativity or improvisation also served as a gateway to uh, explore performing in other music genres? Absolutely, as a gateway okay. towards many different, because it's not just a choice in music, right. it, it's also a choice in lifestyle, truth mm -hmm. be told. Mm -hmm. and for us, you know, music is life. And uh, the way you choose to go forward with improvisation music includes a serious life change, as you might imagine, because these are the kinds of ensembles, bands, where live music is, uh, I don't know how much experience you have, but from, from like 9 o'clock p.m. is when we, that's when it begins. Yeah. And then at 2 o'clock in the morning is when it's over and your job is finished. You're not going to get home till three, four o'clock in the morning. When I was in college, I had a six night job 
uh, six nights a week up in Detroit. So we'd mm -hmm. go up there, hit the gig from nine to one in the morning, yeah. and then I'd have to rush back to Bowling Green, Ohio from Detroit. This is when country music was cool and Garth Brooks had just hit the scene. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the first class at eight o'clock the next morning was my father. Oh my gosh. So no matter wow. what had been going on the night before, I had to be alert and attentive and, you know. You had to be on. Yeah. 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 Wow, man. Yeah, that's uh, that could be grueling. That could be that grueling. Helped. It yes. actually helped. It helped me to make that decision and mm -hmm. go for it because what am I going to learn in my father's class that I haven't heard a million times already? Right. And it was somewhat true with most of the classes that I was taking there at BGSU. So it okay. was either six nights a week, play professionally, start now. Right. While country is cool, even in Detroit, country was cool. <laughs> yeah. Or stay in college and learn a bunch of stuff you know already. So yeah. I chose the former. Nice. Nice. When with the gig. Yeah. So Play that gigs. all kinds of doors. And yeah. Yeah. Patriots. So I'm sure you're familiar with Fox Theater up in Detroit. I am. Yeah. You know, it was later in life that we played the Fox Theater, but I also saw nice. Les Miserables. There. did you yeah sweet sweet yeah. I, I tell you my, my my past job my previous job um i used to travel extensively so i spent a lot of time in all parts of michigan uh and you know and, and including uh detroit and so um one of the guys i was working with who was based in detroit gave me a couple tickets this was during the holidays gave me a couple tickets to see the rocks uh the, the rockettes the Rockettes at Fox Theater, man. Uh, had a blast. Loved it. Loved it. That's a great theater, too. Yeah. 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 Enjoyed it every single time. Uh, it's another one of those iconic venues where when you end up on that stage, it's like, right. wow, this is the same place I saw Les Mis when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nice. Very nice. All right, man. So, Alex, I want to talk about now... Um, hurdles, barriers, obstacles, challenges, okay? Sure. Uh, every journey, everyone's journey um, has a degree or points of struggle, okay? Um, whether it's within ourselves or against something outside of us, uh, you know, we all, we all deal with these, with these struggles. I would love to learn about, and I'd love for the listeners to learn some of the challenges that you've had in your career, okay, that may have um, may have given you a feeling of of taking three steps back, okay, uh, but but furthermore, after that, how did you respond, okay, to turn things around uh, from whatever challenge that is that you were going through? Um, how did you respond? Was there a defining moment that? that caused you to make that pivot in a 180 direction or was it gradual over time to make that climb back up from that adversity? Does that make sense? Sure. You know, when we talk about hurdles as professional musicians yeah. in the kind of atmosphere that we were just talking about, this nine to one, two o'clock in the morning, yeah. uh, those hurdles become very obvious and very clear quickly yeah. as you realize that you're surrounded by drugs and alcohol 
at all times. As a matter of fact, your job is to make sure people keep drinking and that the dance floor stays full. Yes. And under those parameters, you know, the, the number one hurdle for any musician, especially for any of the younger generation thinking about this uh, profession, being your profession, yeah. just say no. Mm-hmm. If and when the opportunity comes for you to try it for the first time, right. it's never a good idea. Mm-hmm. It's never a good idea to drink even one drink and drive anywhere. No. I think that uh, a lot of musicians lose their way. A lot of very valuable talent gets squandered and wasted right. because of this subjection to uh, drugs and alcohol. So for me, uh, it was through the, you know, when you finally hit rock bottom and addiction becomes your main focus mm-hmm. in life. I don't know if you're familiar with the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. But My for me- was one. So yeah, we talked about the 12 steps. Okay. Well, for me, it was a, a serious discovery to learn at around step three, I believe, that it, it, none of this is within your control to begin with. Like you're in the middle of a spiritual war yeah. and that dark side is trying to commandeer your person and keep you on that same path towards destruction. Right. And perhaps it's upon realizing just that much that... Uh, it took a while, Aubrey. It took a while. But uh, one day I woke up and it was like the Lord had lifted the switch mm. and away it went. I didn't want to live that way that day. And wow. So we're talking, it's like a shift in a mindset. I mean, you know, you wake up and, and, and somehow through divine intervention or something, this mindset shift or change is bestowed upon you to where one of your first thoughts when you wake up is, I don't want to live like this anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's very, very impactful, Alex. It's very, very pivotal for sure. Um, yeah. So, I mean, once you made that decision, you, you woke up and that was on your heart. Uh, how was, how challenging was it? to now take the road back, right? Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, to, 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 to get back out of the rut, to, to, to rise back up above the ashes, so to speak. I'm not sure that that process is yet over. Gotcha. A constant evaluation of your own person and who yeah. you are inside, you know? And yeah. I feel like... Uh, if it weren't for the presence of God, the Father, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have much of a shot here at continuing the path. But it's uh, thanks be to him that I'm able to sit here and talk to you at all. And I feel very fortunate um, about that. And, and I, and I, and I want to, I just want to commend you for your resilience, you know, and, 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 and turning things around. I, I truly, truly feel and believe within my heart of hearts, uh, with all the extraordinary people that I talk to, you know, um, it, it, it's not easy when you hit that rock bottom to take that road back, 
Okay. And here you are sitting, breathing, talking with me, having this great conversation. Um, I'm, I'm very grateful for that. And I, I want to commend you for your resilience, for sure. As am I. Thank you for that. Yeah. And not only are we able to have this conversation, but I'm sitting in the middle of a recording studio that are built pretty much by hand. Each unit was picked on purpose, <laughs> you know, and uh, by design, but, right? Yeah. And the kinds of sounds we're getting yeah. in here are just mesmerizing. I'm, oh, I have wow. a great having a great time. And I met the love of my life two years ago. Well, I met her 13 years ago. Okay. But, uh, <laughs> to a, a hometown show two years ago. Yeah. And one of the wisest decisions I've ever made in life was dropping to my knee and begging this woman to be my wife. Wonderful. Her name is Aria, soon to Aria. be Aria DePew. Very and nice. Right here, Curzon is her current name. So. Gotcha. She's wonderful. The, she's the voice of Ducky in the Land Before Time. Yeah, in fact, uh, Aria and I, we've had a chat, actually. Oh, you have? Yeah. I didn't know that. Well, yeah, okay, yeah. We, had a, we had a great chat, too. It was awesome, yeah. And, and congratulations to both you and Aria, Alex. Thank for sure. you. Uh, absolutely. You. No, I, I, I have nothing but best wishes for you guys for the future. This is very exciting, very exciting. All right, now we have about five minutes. I want to be sensitive to your time. Uh, I want to talk about, real quick, just some of the great stuff that you're doing, man. I mean, you are, well, with the pandemic, I'm not quite sure, but you have been quite active in touring, performing, um, in the studio, recording, uh, and also teaching, right? That is correct, yeah. Every day throughout this year, 2020, has been, it begins with a re-examination of exactly how you're going to keep the machine floating, Yeah. You know? Yeah, uh, right. and uh, it's a different perspective right now because, as you know, everything is moving even in live performance online. That's it's right. moving online, yeah. and it's just the trippiest thing to be in the middle of a show where you know you've got an audience online, but when you finish a tune that you normally gets a standing ovation, yeah. all you hear are crickets. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, so, that, that's, that's a different dynamic for sure, right? Yeah. Um, we've been blessed in that department as, I don't know how she did it, but it was through uh, Aria's help that we were able to generate a, a new tool through Facebook, which allows live paid events. So, awesome. yeah. And as a musician in this particular time of, of, uh, you know, it's just a real blessing to have that tool available. So we're using it. And uh, our next show is Thanksgiving Day. Um, mm -hmm. Of course, you can find out all that information online at the Facebook page itself. It's self-titled. It's Alex Depew, D-E-P-U-E. Gotcha. And thank you for sharing that because that was going to be my next question for the listeners to connect with you, learn more about you, and thank to... You even participate or, or attend one of your performances, they can, they can, uh, they can uh, join that Facebook page. Is that right? Yeah, this one's going to be really fun on Thanksgiving Day. If you're on the East Coast, it works out perfectly is maybe yeah. well, uh, right when you're finishing up the cleaning of the kitchen uh, yeah. at about yeah. six o'clock p.m. is when we take the stage and that will have a physical audience that day as well. So 
about uh, 50 reservations from a, a small venue in Mexico. Mm -hmm. And what we're going to broadcast that live as it happens onto the Facebook page. Beautiful. Uh, that yeah. was, it's going to be extra fun because I've got all my extended family will be on the, the thread. Right, uh, right. I know that, you know, cousins and even some of whom I haven't ever met are <laughs> all going to meet up on Thursday. That's just a couple days away now. It sure is. That just adds to the excitement, Alex. It does. Man, that, that is fantastic. I am going to make sure that I have direct links to the Facebook page uh, for the listeners. That'll be in the episode show notes. They'll be able to access it right away from there once this episode is published. And right now, uh, Alex, I'd love to quickly go through a segment I like to call Three for the Road. It's where I ask my guests three questions, three random yet thought-provoking questions that I encourage you to try to answer in five words or less. So what do you say? You think you might be up for it? I think I can do this. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, here we go. Question number one for Three for the Road. Here we go. What does your performance project? Emotions. Love it. One word that says a lot. Emotions. Awesome. Awesome, Alex. Question number two. If your plane, your violin plane, fiddle plane, fiddling, could resolve any one world problem from anywhere around the world, what would it be? Homelessness. Homelessness. I couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Awesome. All right, number three to top us off for three for the road, Alex. Does improvisation have structure? And if so, how? It does. Yeah, imp improvisation, musically speaking, does have structure in as much as you want to have a theme upon which you can build. It's a, it's a short story. It's like gotcha. uh, your introduction and then a little bit of foreshadowing into what you could call the uh, climax of the uh, right. solo. Yeah. And then want that short story to resolve itself by maybe coming back to the original picture that you painted to begin with, if that makes sense. It does. It does. I mean, uh, just from my brief music background, that definitely makes sense. And it is a short story. It's a short story within a full story, <laughs> you know? So uh, no, that's a beautiful thing, man. Oh, Alex, man, it's been a pleasure pleasure having you on the show. We're going to have to chat again because uh, I have some background in jazz that I want to share with oh. you and, and just get some ideas from you and so forth uh, and, and just have another great conversation. So if you don't mind, some months down the line, we can maybe reconnect. Anytime. Anytime. I really enjoyed this, Aubrey. Oh, fantastic, man. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. And I want to thank all of you for logging in, tuning in, and listening. If you want VIP heads up notifications of upcoming releases before anyone else knows and before anything's released, please make sure to subscribe to the Roads Rediscoveries mailing list. That's road, www.roadsrediscovery.com. That's road, the number two, rediscovery.com. We're all roadies on this journey of life, and it sure feels good having you on the road with me. Thanks again for listening. We'll chat again soon.